Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. You and others that may need these items can rest assured that your church is here to bear witness to the faithfulness of God in this time. And so we do want you to know that we've made preparations that way. Also, our plan was to begin live streaming anyway by the end of this month. And in fourth thought, we have now uh, bringing to you our first service live stream. And this will be an option for you as we move forward. And we just wanted to let you know that this is going to be available from here now on forward for the rest of the life of of all that God has us to do here. And so we just wanted to bring that to you and some of those things. Anyway, one of the ways that you can stay connected to your church is that there are lots of needs that we can meet together as a community. And I want to call all of us together to the Acts 2 church where there was lots of persecution and lots of food insecurity and other issues that were facing that early church. But the way that they fought that was by becoming more the community of faith than they had ever been. And so they would pull resources. Some would sell fields or properties and things and others that had other resources would bring them together so that there was no need in the body of Christ. This is the space in our church where we normally do our tithes, our offering, and our giving. And so I just want you to, to do that now. You can either uh, text to give by uh, typing in the number that you, you'll see on your screen behind me and, and uh, across uh, the, those of you that have already had the device saved. You can just text an amount and just give towards uh, the needs that are going to be present in the church and also to participate in a way that we can communal, communally share in what it is that God has for us here. You can also go online after this uh, broadcast and give via online or you can mail a check as always to the address 305-A Asheville Avenue. We want you to know we're here to meet those needs and that's what these resources are going to be pulled together to do to keep the church doing what this church has done all along which is helping those that need help and standing in the gap for those that need a voice. And so with that said we want to invite you to be able to do that this morning as a part of this community. So let's pray over that offering. Heavenly Father, as each considers, Lord, how it is that they can help others that are in need right now, I pray that as a community of faith that we would gather together in witness to your kingdom, calling everyone together to do their part and somehow, Lord, accomplishing the whole. I pray, Lord, for those that are very nervous and struggling right now, that you would encourage and strengthen them and that you would lift them up and empower, God, that you would bless each one. God, as we give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, let us remember those that are suffering with this virus. And I pray, Lord, that you would heal them from where this infection is raging across the globe, not just here in the United States, but all across the world. Lord, we pray that you would be merciful. As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and everyone gazed upon it was healed, you said in John that we, Lord, when you were lifted up, you would draw the world again to yourself. Lord, we look upon you, our hope, Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would draw us again to your healing mercies now in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been in this sermon series entitled Roots, and we have been talking about our life, how it is that we receive the gospel. 
Historically, the way that this passage of scripture found in Matthew has been viewed is the way that different people respond to the gospel. That some are like a hardened path where the word of God goes out indiscriminately to them, but they're the path is so hard that they can't receive the seed. Some following in shallow roots, and that shallow root, it immediately receives the word with joy and springs up, but is eventually scorched because it does not have a deepness of root. Then the third part is about the thorns, and we're going to be digging in there this morning about how it is that there are thorns uh, and the word of God is choked out. The gospel is, is, goes there, and then some fall upon abundant fruit. We immediately assume because we're believers that we're the good soil and the good fruit. But I want to maybe rethink that whole metaphor. That our hearts are like all of those soils. That we have some places that the word of God tries to meet us. And yet those places are so worn out. Maybe because of an offense or hurt. That even though the seed desires to go down into good soil, it cannot. The seed is always good in the kingdom of God. But our ability to receive it may be based on experiences. It could be church hurt that has kept us away from receiving the word of God. It can be an abuse or some terrible experience that makes us resistant. But all of us have different soils in our heart. You might be like those that receive the word of God with joy. It springs up in your heart and instantly you're like, yes, I'm in. But then when the rat race of work comes or the busy schedules of taking the kids to ball practice get in the way, somehow the good intention of what we mean somehow slips away. And today we're going to dig into the rooted areas of our life. And I want to just open some scripture to you this morning out of Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to read the first nine verses together. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it. While the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus, being pressed by the crowds, gets into a boat and pushes out some distance from the shore so that his voice could be amplified and those in the back could hear. Right now, with all that's going on in the world, what we need to hear is the word. And the crowds are leaning in right now in ways that they don't normally do because they're locked in homes or maybe they're concerned. And so Jesus' message is desiring to reach those even at the furthest distance from his voice right now with the hope of the gospel. Coronavirus definitely presents certain challenges, but it reminds me of my situation in my yard. As I've spoken to you in the past, that there are different parts of my yard that for whatever reason they yield different. 
I talked about how the birds came and ate up my seed that I put down this last fall because it was a hard ground. We hadn't had any rain. And then last week I talked about the areas of my yard that were real shallow, but I was reminded of my holly tree this past year. I was uh, real excited that the year before it had produced lots of holly berries, and particularly at Christmas time, it's gorgeous. It, it's got all of this array of red and green, and it is just so beautiful to look at. But I noticed that this year it wasn't producing like it had in years past. And so I was looking at the tree, and everything looked normal. Everything about the tree was just as it always had been. But as under further investigation, I noticed down low that there was another tree that was growing up next to my, my holly tree. Really, it wasn't a tree at all. It was a vine, a thorny vine whose leaves looked almost identical to the holly bush. And so I didn't recognize it at first. It looked just like any other leaf, but the vine was going around the tree and was choking out its life. And so it was not able to produce like it had in years past. And as I was thinking about this message today and what I would share with you, I was thinking about those thorny areas that we have in our hearts. That it's not the seed that's the issue and it's not even that the seed hasn't found good soil. The seed, in fact, has found great soil in which to grow. But right next to the good seed that's now producing a crop, there is another plant growing next to it. One who has wicked intention. Those areas that we hoped would prosper are now not as prosperous. And sometimes we wonder why that is. What's growing alongside of the good tree in our lives? What have we allowed to remain resident in our hearts that's keeping us from flourishing the way that God intends? Well, Jesus specifically addresses this later on as he's giving explanation for this parable. And this is what he says in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is interesting to me, particularly at this time when we're thinking a lot about the coronavirus and all that it means for us, that next to the good seed of faith, this bit of worry starts to spring up right alongside of it. And as the universe would have it, right now is also the time that it's pollen season. And so if you go outside, certainly you have a scratchy voice or maybe a runny nose and instantly our mind goes to the very worst scenario. We are infected. The truth is, is that we always are all infected. We all get sick. We all deal with worry. And Jesus here is saying, worry is like a thorn bush that grows up alongside that good fruit-bearing plant or fruit-bearing tree. That next to it, there are always these thorny areas, and he identifies those thorny areas particularly with worry. And what's the, prob the problem with this stuff is it often looks like it's good and, and prudent, that it grows up next to it, and you can't necessarily always easily discern where the, the problem areas are. When does prudence step aside and worry come into play? 
This is really the rub of where this text is taking us because sometimes discerning the, the plant from its root, they look very similar. Well, I'm just being wise, so I'm going to hole up in my house or I'm going to preserve all my resources for me because it's about survival. And while preserving resources for difficult times may be a good thing, if it deprives your neighbor of some help that you can give them, we are stepping out of the arena of faith and starting, getting, starting to get into the place of self-preservation. Self-preservation is not the, the antidote for healthy living. It's actually counterintuitive or against the idea of who we're called to be as people of faith. All that glitters is not gold. And just because something looks like prudence, it may in fact be evidence of our lack of faith. Here's what I mean. Right now, there is a lot of worry that's gripping most of the world. What will it mean if coronavirus comes to my house? What if my kids are infected? My spouse? Those that I care about? What will my life look like if I have to deal with this affliction? What will it mean for my household? How will I overcome? And that worry starts to come and we get really worried about our life and somehow that worry robs us of our ability to be faithful. Our ability to trust God because we're so concerned about its effect on us that we start to somehow lose our witness. We can quote Psalm 91 and say, He that dwells into the secret place of the Most High shall abide into the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge. But the moment somebody coughs or sneezes around us, we're like, Oh no, it's Corona. And I wonder if that might be a bit of what Jesus is trying to deal with in this text. Those spaces in our heart that have yet to completely yield to the life of faith. Living the life of faith is not the same thing as being imprudent. We are called to be prudent people and to be wise with our resources. And right now, to be wise with our interactions, to keep good social distance. But when it robs us of our witness in important ways that deprives others of the help that we can give, we have stepped out of the arena of faith. And here's where worry always shows up. Worry shows up as a result of our lack of feeling like we're in control. You see, the myth is to all of us is that we somehow control every outcome of our life. But if we were all honest, we've all gotten sick and we've been prudent about washing hands. We've all had fevers and not know where they came from because our world is such that we are going to interact with all kinds of things that make us remember that we're out of control. And here again, we are reminded that we finally don't have any control over every aspect of our life. The myth is, is that we do. And the problem is, is that when we cling too heartily to this life and when worry gets out of control because we don't have the ability to determine what every outcome will be, it drives us to places where we find ourselves unbelieving rather than believing, despairing instead of hopeful. Jesus, speaking to this issue in Matthew 16, 25, says, those that try to save their lives are those that will ultimately lose it. 
Meaning that our pursuit of trying to make sure that everything is so safe for us, that everything is just so perfect, is a way of losing our life because we finally can never get ahead of that. But what he does say is that those that lose their life for my sake will find it. Those that trust wholeheartedly in God's ability and mercy to carry us through. Those that just fall back into that grace knowing that there is arms to catch us recognize that we are not in control that we are going to face hard things. Probably someone that you love, maybe someone even in your family could end up with this virus, then what? Is God less on the throne because we suffer? Of course not. But what we learn is that through our suffering, through our death, we rise new in Christ. Through moments where we feel like we don't have the way, when we lean back and trust, we recognize afresh and anew the mercies of God which make us alive. This is Jesus' point in this text. He wants our life to bear much fruit, but when worry gets in the way of bearing fruit, it robs us of our witness and destroys the life that God intends for us to have. I saw this not long ago. I was on a missions trip and I was working in Hungary, in Bekashava, Hungary. And I was riding along the, uh, with the pastor, and as we were driving by a building that he saw on the side of the road, tears just began to roll down his cheeks. And I was inquisitive, and I wanted to know it, because it was from laughter one moment to instant tears. And I asked the pastor, I said, what, what's wrong? And he said, you see that building? And tears are streaming. That's where the gulag used to torture people from our church. And used to persecute them. Some were killed. I said, oh my goodness, how devastating. Then a smile appeared as the tears were rolling down his face. He goes, but that's also the most beautiful time in our church's history. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I never saw the church come alive in all of my life like it did in those times where people were coming together and working together and people were all chipping in. It would seem like a time where the church would not be able to thrive, but instead it did as people from all of the outside began to come in and together we built a beautiful and wonderful community through suffering. His witness is so important to me right now because as we suffer, and as we're unsure of outcomes, and as we are unclear about what the next day holds, there's something beautiful about us being able to pull together and come together as a community that is able to bear witness to Christ in a different way. Instead of worrying, stepping out in faith and trusting that God will be the source to lead us. To be prudent, yes, but not to be full of worry because no one knows what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow will have enough problems of its own, the gospel says. So our trust then should be in the one that holds it all together. And then when we're falling apart, holds us together. The second idea I had as I was thinking about this text is that sometimes it's not just worry. It is worry. But it's also going along and worried about our riches, our wealth, or what this means to us financially. All of us are going to be affected by this on some level. Some are feeling the threat of the loss of jobs. Some have seen, like me, have seen their 401ks just take a nosedive and instantly, in just a matter of days, 30% of what you have raised is gone. 
And here's what happens. It's we begin to crowd surf when we just starting allowing the whims to carry us along. And I saw this not long ago. There was a buddy of mine and I that went to this concert and we were looking in admiration at this one fellow that got onto the stage somehow past the security guards and he took a backwards dive into the crowd. And people began to pass this guy along for all across the crowd. And he was completely at their mercy. And he looked like he was having the best of times. He was just smiling and laughing and people were carrying him along. Until he got to one particular point where the people decided they were done carrying him. And they just dropped him on his back. You see, that's the way it is with crowd surfing. It's a fun ride for a little while, but at some point you're going to get dropped off in a way that's going to injure you in one manner or another. Right now the crowds and the chicken littles are telling us that the sky is falling. Can I just tell you that the Lord still holds the universe in his hands. He still has it all under control. He has you in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. You, me, all of us are in his hands. And when we recognize that we are in his hands, that is the safest place to be. But the crowds would want to lead us down this path or chasing after this whim or to fanaticize about this particular worry. When the Lord wants us to be zoned in in a different way, to be people that go against the flow of the crowd and instead speak life to it. Because right now what the world needs more than ever before is hope. And they need to hear that hope from you and from me and from us collectively as a united witness in Christ. But the pressures from the crowd can sometimes rob our witness. Have you stored up enough toilet paper, they say? <laughs> Have you get, gotten everything from Costco that you could possibly buy? Have you ran around town and made a fury of all of these things finally to have it all and yet to still feel like you have nothing? Crowd surfing is fun for a while. But when we follow the whims of the crowd, what we hear on television, what we read across the news feeds, all it often does is incite fear to us and we have to be very careful. That pressure from the crowd of thinking the way that everyone in the world thinks and responding in the same way that everyone in the world responds is often counterintuitive to scripture and the way that God leads us to respond in these times of crisis. What we should be reciting in the midst of these kinds of things is the echoes of the word of the psalmist who says that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we need not fear. Even when the earth itself gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, that there is a city that makes glad the people of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, the psalmist says. You will not fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Be still and know that I am God. This is the echo of the language of the kingdom. And sometimes when the crowd is carrying us along, it may lead us to a place where we start to compromise our witness. I felt this pressure recently. I'm no different than you. I deal with worry. I deal with these same struggles that I'm talking to you about. And the other day I was praying for someone in the hospital, this woman who had been afflicted and she asked me would I come and pray and so I did. And as I was praying, I was instantly aware of others that were overhearing my prayer. I was very tempted 
very tempted to change the rhetoric of my prayer to be more socially acceptable for that environment, knowing that others would hear and making sure that somehow those language, those language uh, isms that I use, those, those approaches that I would take to this utterance would be more acceptable. But then I realized, nope. God has called me here to pray for this person and so I'm gonna pray the words that God has given me to pray over this person and I did. I prayed it with fervor, with passion. And I was even more vigorous in my approach. And when I finished my prayer, the person that was listening and one of the persons that was listening and said, I was listening to that prayer and you didn't know it. But when you were praying for her, you were praying for me. When I did not lean into what I was feeling, the pressure of the crowd pushing against me, when I did not respond to fear and spoke in faith, it was a witness to her in a different way because I didn't follow what the crowd wanted to hear. I gave them the words of God. And she said, I came here sick, but I feel well. I've been riddled in my body with all kinds of pains, but now I'm whole. And my prayer wasn't even aimed to her, but God used it to bless somebody else when I was refusing to allow the crowds to dictate the words that I would share. As you're facing this virus and as you're facing every day from here forward, don't just go along with what the crowd is saying. Don't just buy the lie that you don't have nothing to offer. We are a people of hope that have the ability to respond in completely different ways. And it's up to us to trust in the Lord and to recognize his help for us. Otherwise, the crowd that we follow along is just like that thorny bush that will inevitably suck out the life in your life like it has in mine in so many different times. What are you chasing? What are you after in your pursuing? The third idea I have in my message today about some of the way I feel like that this scripture meets us is that sometimes it's not just about the glitter that seems like gold or crowd surfing, but it's that worry about what's next. We think a lot about what's next. And in this context, some of the way that we're thinking about that is what's going to happen after this. I can't wait till this is over so I can, what's next is really going back. I want to know what's next and when is this going to be over? Is two weeks of quarantine going to be enough? Five weeks, seven weeks, like they are in some places in China, nine, 12. What happens after this? What's next? The problem with what's next kinds of mindsets is it doesn't help us to be rightly present to our own because what is next is actually built on what we are now doing in the present. What you do now will determine your next. And as I've said to you at other times, we are to never waste a good crisis. We have one, at least in the minds of those that are now talking about this in every pundit-driven medium that we can imagine. And they're telling us about how terrible it is. If we emerge out the same as when we walked in, we have wasted this moment. We have wasted the opportunity and that sometimes is the lure. Jesus says it, the allure of wealth. How can I go back to, to do it? Or the cares of life, the worry about all of what's happening robs us of our ability to be present to this, that there are folks right in your household that need to be encouraged. You know, I was watching my youngest daughter, Adeline, two years old. I was just so blessed by her heart the other day. She has no clue of what's going on in the world. She's just full of joy and runs all over the house and some will say it's naivete, perhaps. But I think it's actually something more beautiful than that. It's 
the unequivocal trust in a mom and dad and in a God that holds her world so safe that she has nothing to worry about. That's how God wants you to feel during this time. That's the attitude he wants you to respond with him in, knowing that he is already working out. My daughter is just present to the moment that she has, and she has this moment, so she might as well live it full of joy. And the Lord wants us to, yes, be prudent, to be smart, but not to be so far looking ahead that we miss the beauty of the opportunities that we have right in front of us. It's a trap when we think that way when we're worried about those things that we can't control. James' epistle says it like this in the fourth chapter, the 13th verse and 14th verse. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. However, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is like a vapor that appears for a little while and then is gone. You have this moment. You have this moment in which to live. You have this moment to express beauty and to enjoy it. You have this moment to bear witness of the kingdom of God. You have this moment to live faithful. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. We only have what we are given in this specific moment. And each of us have an opportunity to respond faithfully to this moment. And the way that looks for us as believers is to bear witness to God, his kingdom, his purposes, his goodness, to come together and to bound forth with the witness of God in such a way that all of the world takes notice and says, that's the way it ought to be all the time. This is our gift. We're passing something along. But I feel like we're much like the men's and women's 400-meter Olympic a relay team from 2008. They were picked to win. They were by far the best and they had won all of the qualifiers leading up to the Olympic events. But when the time came for them to pass along the baton in the actual race, those that were destined to win the race failed because they didn't pass along the baton. That simple act of passing the baton is what disqualified them. Here we are passing the baton on to our children, to our community, trying to let them see Christ. And it's not time for us to drop it, but it's time for us to trust it and to live into it and to believe that this is our hour. This is our moment. This is our opportunity to live faithfully so the world can see that God has a witness here. But the allure of what's next sometimes causes us to miss this moment this moment to be present. But this moment of being present and being here and being faithful has a lot to do with what's next because we are building the world that will follow after this. My prayer in this national day of prayer is that that world will be more beautiful, it will be more lovely, it will be more filled with encouragement, more filled with people coming together and sharing common life and living into God's virtue and God's kingdom. That's my prayer, but it's up to us how it is that we will get there. Will we miss this moment or will we engage it? Each of us have this awesome opportunity before us. You, me, all of us together, we're passing something along and somehow that's also preparing for the world that will follow after this. Our faithfulness will be judged in the life to come. And each of us will stand before God. My prayer is, is that we will not do so with fear, 
but with the confidence that we have put his good word to work, letting it seed deep into our hearts and producing from the lives in which we live something that will give God glory and crown him with splendor. As Pastor Stephen comes back up and we close in this altar time together, I'm reminded of a story that my father-in-law shared with me recently. He was busy with his work, his work being so full of so many different things that he asked to do. And at this particular time, it was Christmas, his busiest time of the year. He has worked tirelessly building schools and providing education for underserved children all over the world. And during Christmas time, it's especially busy as they visit these schools and give witness to God's coming and his incarnation as they are sharing in the gift of education and life. And as he's going through all of the paperwork and the files, the Christmas season had come and gone with there a glimpse of God's coming. As he's ciphering through the bills that he needed to pay and endless emails that needed response and, and newsletters that needed to be sent out, he had missed something that had been hidden in the correspondence weeks before. It was a card addressed to him. He was curious about his contents and needed the distraction anyway from all the work that he had. And so in the middle of all of that, he thumbs open a card and on the front, it just two words, Christmas blessings. And inside there was a note from a man named Harold. Harold said to my father-in-law, you know my story and my prayers for you have been relentless. I've been a paraplegic now for four years and my wife is now worse off than me. I use all the strength that I have on a daily basis to care for her. But I want you to know that I've not relented once in praying for you. I'm praying for you this Christmas that the joy of Christmas would come to you afresh. The joy of God's love bounding forth to the earth. I'm praying not only for you but for your work because you touch so many people. And though I can't get around like I used to, I feel like somehow my prayers are connecting me to something much bigger than the moment that I'm in now. And there was a check enclosed. And in the memo line, Harold wrote just one word. Souls. Souls that needed to hear that God loved them. Souls that had no access to education, but now through this ministry, do. Souls that were hungry and needed food to eat and they'd been given food. All of the work that my father-in-law was pointing to and, and had lived for sometimes gets muddied up in all of the worry and the care of this life. But in that moment, everything became crystal clear that this is why we do it. For the souls that are our next door neighbors that need to know that there's hope beyond this moment of suffering. Those souls that are down the road that are so anxious ridden that they can't even sleep at night. Those souls that need to know that a Savior died on a cross for them and rose again to give them new life. Souls. Souls that need the good seed of the kingdom of God planted deep into their heart. Souls that can hear the echo of the Spirit's voice calling to them. Souls that are planted in good soil 
that experience the breaking that a seed goes through so that it may come forth and bound new in new character and new likeness to God's glory. The Lord gives this seed indiscriminately over every area of our heart. Sometimes it does fall upon hardened paths. Sometimes it does get choked away by thorns or scorched by the sun. But today the Lord wants this word to go deep into your heart and to bear resonances that will change your life forever. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person that hears this message in living rooms, in family rooms, in dining rooms, hiding under their covers in their bedroom, in the garage, in bathrooms, at work, sitting around a table with family, that somehow that this seed would germinate and go deep into their heart. Because Lord, you plan new life after this. Your plan is to give us beauty for these ashes. Your plan is to give us hope for this despair. So Lord, now we lay aside all of the turmoil and angst and anxiety and fear. We release control again to you, the God of our hope. And we ask you to enter into this space and make us anew in the power of your unfailing love. For those that do not know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that even now that they would pray a prayer of invitation, asking you, Lord, to forgive them and make them new through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ. For those that are filled with worry and fear, consumed in brokenness, make them alive in you. Cause your grace and your mercy to just flow over them like waves so that they can be made new in the power of your love. Come to us now, Lord, in our confusion, in our discouragement, and make us today alive in you. In the name of Jesus. Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.